branding, like any other discipline, has different, I'm going to call them different camps, right? There's the camp that is going to tell you to fix all your visuals first because it's all about visuals and you don't want a website that looks like it was built in 2001 and, you know, so on and so forth, right? I do agree to that to a certain extent. I'm just saying that if you're like, like a lot of startups are, they're bootstrapped. Uh, maybe there is funding coming in, but it's probably for other purposes. I would start at the very minimum with what I call the verbal expression of your brand. And what that means is positioning. How do you want to be perceived by your target audience within your niche, right? When they think about your company, where should their mind go to? You are listening to the High Growth Founders Podcast, where we give you unfiltered truth and ideas about accelerating the growth of your startup and becoming the founder you were born to be. No fluff, no games, just straight to business. I'm your host, Casey Jones. Through my career as a coach, consultant, advisor, and mentor, I've worked with hundreds of founders on their go-to-market strategy, building an authentic personal brand, and growing as a leader. You are here for one thing, growth. And this show is dedicated to helping founders accelerate growth, period. We will dive into not only the best strategies that are working today, but discuss the biggest mistakes and failures that industry leaders have made in the past so you don't have to. So kick back, relax, and let's get into the show. This episode is seriously going to blow your mind. It will be a crash course in branding and marketing for your business. Today, I am talking to Christian Klepp. He runs Einblick, which is an agency that a B2B marketing agency that primarily works with big B2B companies. I mean, we're talking public companies, series D and E, very successful, kind of at that level. Christian is one of the smartest, most interesting humans that I am proud to call my friend. And this conversation is is absolutely no exception. We really got into not only the 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 details of how he started his company and why he started his company and it is such an it's a story that a lot of you are going to be able to relate to. I can pretty much guarantee that. But then we really dove into okay, as a founder, how do you better brand your business, your company. And he got really into the details. So if this is something you're thinking about at all, this episode is a little bit long, but give it a listen because you are going to have tactical, actionable steps to take to better improve your marketing, your branding, your positioning and how you can better reach that audience. Um, he talks about some of the most common mistakes he sees You know, big marketing teams make and small um, businesses and entrepreneurs make and all of the ways to mitigate those. Like This one is going to kind of blow your mind and teach you a ton. So buckle up and um, get ready to have your mind blown by Christian. Christian Klepp, I am so incredibly excited to have you on this podcast. 
Thank you for being here. Casey, thank you so much. Um, it's a pleasure to be here and thanks for the opportunity. Yeah. Okay. So before we get into everything, um, tell us a little bit about you, what you do, what kind of a, a founder and entrepreneur are you? Yeah, sure. So um, maybe just starting off, I'm originally from Austria. So for those of you who don't know where that is, it's a small German speaking country in Central Europe. And I've but I've had the privilege of uh, spending most of my life abroad, uh, mostly in Asia. And that's probably the reason why I don't sound like the Terminator when I speak English. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I moved to Toronto, Canada in uh, 2018. And prior to that, I was uh, living in Shanghai, China for 13 years. And towards the end of 2019, I started my own company called Einblick. And Einblick is the German word for insight because that's what we hope to deliver. Mm. You know, when we work with clients, it's insights that will help them to improve, insights that will help them to make better and informed decisions, and insights ultimately that will help them to become better uh, B2B marketers, right? So we're a consulting firm. As I said, we provide primarily branding and marketing solutions for companies in the B2B tech and professional services sector and focusing very heavily on market research, brand strategy development copywriting, content development, right? And on top of that, I'm also the uh, host of my own podcast called uh, B2B Marketers in the Mission. And you were a guest on that podcast, remember? Yeah. And um, I, I don't really like bragging about things, but I am particularly proud of this one. We are very close to uh, booking episode 100. <gasps> oh, that's huge. And that definitely deserves some you know, uh, some, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call that bragging. That's, I don't know. What's it, what's a gentler way of putting it? It's the proverbial tooting your own horn. That is, that is, that is definitely worthy of that. That's a really, really big deal. Yeah. It's like, it's like you're, you know, you commit to climbing the mountain and you're almost at the peak, right? That's how, <laughs> yeah. And I know, or at least the first peak because yes, if I know you, you're not going to stop there. It's not like, oh, now we're going downhill. It's like, no, we're going to find the next thing to climb or uh, the next vista <laughs> to walk towards. Yeah. I mean, like if you want to, um, for all you mountain climbers out there, uh, I am probably in this context, but I've reached the peak of Kilimanjaro. Mm. And now I'm looking at Matterhorn and I'll probably climb Everest at some point mm. in, in the podcasting world, right? Like. <laughs> <laughs> Good. That's good. I love this. And thank you for explaining the meaning behind your business name. I never knew that. It's okay. And I've wondered, and I've always meant to ask, and I've totally forgotten it. And that's such a great name. Thank you. I love it. Thank you. Okay. So we start every episode um, of the High Growth Founders podcast with a story. And the whole theme of this is that we learn more from the hard stuff than from the easy stuff. I really wish, I really wish that weren't the case, but that is the case. So will you share a story, um, an experience, something you went through that, that kind of sucked while you were in it, but it ultimately led to a lesson or a realization that created some some real growth for you or for your business, your career, your clients, or anything in between? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, thank you for the question. I've actually been thinking about this uh, ever since our last conversation, okay. because um, I'm going to say that it wasn't one particular 
experience or challenge per se. I would say it was a collection of experiences that all happened within a matter of months within a specific year, mm. right? And that year for me was 2018, right? So that was the year. I mean, you, you know, um, I don't know if you've, you know, there's a couple of articles out there and podcasts about this topic, but like certain events in a person's life that cause extreme stress, right? So one of them is uh, uh, first-time home ownership, so buying your, buying your first home, right? And another one is becoming a parent. Right. And I think the third one was, was something, I, I, it was probably like something financial related, mm-hmm. right? So go, going back to the story is um, a, a lot of things happened all at the same time. So what am I talking about? I, after living in Shanghai for 13 years, I packed my bags, left China and moved to Toronto, Canada, right? So I'm in a new country. Thankfully, I didn't have to learn a new language, but it was still a new country nonetheless, right? leaving everything and friends that I knew, I left them all behind to start from scratch, right? So that was March, 2018. And then April, 2018, I became a father, right? My, my, oh. my, my daughter was born, right? So you know what they say about becoming, um, becoming a parent, right? It's both beautiful and absolutely terrifying, and it's all <laughs> rolled into one, <laughs> right? Because um, as much as, you know, now they have these classes and what have you that you can attend, you don't. There is no instruction manual for parenthood, right? You kind of just has to, t- yeah. You kind of just have to take it as it comes, yeah. Right. So there was that, and then the third one was, I was still working at my last job, but I was working. Oh, this was big in 2018. I was working remotely, mm. right? I was the only person in the team that was in Canada, and I was working with clients and and team members that were in different countries. Yeah. Right. Right now, it's um, you know, you if you just look at LinkedIn, I mean, that's it's pretty much like table stakes now, right? It's very commonplace, like everybody's doing that now. But back then, it was I wouldn't say that it didn't exist, but it wasn't as common as it is right now, right? Yeah. And this was the first time I was doing that. I went from being in an office space with fifty people to just me. It's huge, right? Yeah. So, I mean. There is the loneliness factor, but there's just this um, complete lack of being able to socialize with people because you're just working on your own. And the only possibility I had at the time to socialize was online. And then I went to the co-working space, but then the co-working space, like from where I lived, was an hour away. Oh, wow. Right. So there's, yeah, there's the commute, right? Because it was in downtown Toronto. Right. So I'm telling you all of this to get to the point, right? Uh, uh, sorry, and on top of that, I still had to travel for work, right? So I had, to, oh. I, had to, I had to fly to China, I had to fly to the US, I had to fly to Europe. And while on the surface, that sounds all like wonderful, um, towards the end of the year, I had a complete burnout. Mm. And I'm not saying, and I'm not saying like it was a complete burnout where I just broke down and cried. I, I just got sick all the time. Oh, yeah. I was always down with the flu. I was always down with something. And I don't remember, like, if I think back on all those years, I have never been that sick that often in one year. Mm. Right. So it was the end, towards the end of 2018 and going into 2019. I think it took me until about the middle of 2019 to just really ask myself after all of those, again, those collective challenges that I had gone through, right, that had led to that burnout. Asking myself, okay, Chris, you really do enjoy what you do professionally. 
what is this the only way that you can do it mm. right there's got to be another way that is more sustainable and i'm not talking about like i don't want to work hard i do right but there's got to be a way to do it where i don't end up getting sick all the time where i'm not always tired and you know and because when you when you throw in all these factors right it inhibits your ability to make decisions it your memory is a little bit impaired like i tended to forget uh, a lot of things so i you know i took a step back and asked myself okay there's got to be uh, another way or another path i can take where i can continue doing what i enjoy where i can continue collaborating with clients in a way that is sustainable in the long run mm-hmm. and out of that uh, reflection and that soul searching that's when i like was born that's amazing yeah well yeah it is it, and it is interesting right that that it takes us reaching this breaking point to start to reevaluate is there a is there another way to do things yes and i think that you were you were really at an advantage i mean in in a way of going through that before covid because i think that was why collectively yes um so many people were starting to completely question everything about their lives is that you get caught up in the hustle and bustle and the go, 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 and the doing all of these things. And it takes something kind of dramatic to snap you out of that and, and help you recognize that maybe the life you'd built or that had kind of been built for you or around you wasn't serving you. So, yeah. and I'm absolutely, and also I'm sure. Not only were you traveling a ton, not only were you sick all the time, not only were you stressed, but you also weren't getting to spend time with your family and your your new burgeoning family. So I've got to ask, mm. what made you and your wife decide to move not just to another city, not just to another country, to another continent um, a month before she was going to give birth to your first child? Oh, well, I mean, that's an easy, uh, that's an easy question. She was actually born in Toronto Oh, and she has, and she has family here, right? That's nice. So for her, she was just going home and she, she did, she actually moved back to Toronto in 2017. So she had already been here a couple of months prior. (laughs) She didn't, she did not wait until the last minute. Right. Um, I was yeah. going to say, holy moly, did she really move like while well, eight months pregnant? That sounds kind of like a nightmare. No, 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 no. She didn't do that. She didn't that's do good. That. And that doesn't, that's, that, that makes me feel better for both of you that you did have a support network because yes, it was also, that all sounded so lonely. It wasn't easy for sure. Right. Yeah. But I'll, I'll have to say, I mean, just a little bit on my background, I've moved, yeah. I've moved to several countries, um, you know, throughout my life. And I think Canada is country number seven. So it was something that I was to a certain degree used to. But at some point, here we go, as you get older, <laughs> um, you want to ask yourself, like, okay, do I want to keep doing this? Yeah. Right. Do I want to keep uprooting? Right. Or as they say in German, there's a German saying like where you you collapse your tent and then set it up somewhere else, right? Do you want to keep doing that? Yeah. Right. Uh, at some point, I, I think everybody um, will. I wouldn't say they get they will get tired of that life, but at some point, they just want to slow down. Yeah. Right. And I think part of what led to my burnout back in 2018, just to add on to what you were saying earlier, was um, 
I was still in that mindset pre-parenthood, right? Where it was just either myself or it was my wife and I, and we, we would just power through the night and it was absolutely no problem. But when you're also trying to raise a child, um, it's a little more complicated. That's a little bit more complicated. <laughs> and, and, and newsflash, your priorities change. Yeah. Right? Rightfully so. so. Exactly. And it's not even a, a, about like, you know, you, you, you have to do it. It's like, okay, you need to prioritize your family, right? Like, uh, you know, am I going to stay up until 2 a.m. to make sure that my daughter stops crying? Or do I stop that and go and jump on a call? I mean, of course, I'm going to go and take care of her. Right. Yeah. So keeping all of that in mind, mm. you started your your company. How have you intentionally built your business and the structure around it to make sure you don't repeat some of those same stressors that you that that kind of brought you to this place and and you know to begin with? Yeah, no, great question. But, uh, you know, the truth is that it's a different world now, right? Like, even if you just compare it to 2018, right? There were a lot of things that happened during the pandemic, which, quite frankly, if you ask me, were probably a long time coming. But, um, yeah. but you know, now with, uh, you know, working remotely and having conversations like the ones that you and I are having right now, right? That really changed the game for us, right? And uh, we are 100% remote. Like, uh, we've actually um, never met our clients in person. No, that's not true. I've met one or two in person, right? But everybody else, um, you know, these are people that we connected with on LinkedIn and through online communities and, and, and what have you, right? So, but to answer your question, it's really also about setting boundaries, mm. right? It's about setting boundaries. And it's not to say that I'm not going to make myself available. Like, you know, the, this whole like, okay, it's nine to five and then that's it. Right. And you, you, you run your own business. You know what it's like, right? So if, if somebody asks you, well, can we jump on a call at eight in the morning? I'm like, yeah, we can. However, um, it's this whole thing. And I don't want to sound um, like I'm being a prima donna, but like, it's a lot of what I learned as I started out this business was the importance of pre-qualifying and determining fit, mm. determining a right fit. Because at the end of the day, let's be honest, not everybody is going to be your customer. You are not going to be the right fit. And, and it goes both ways, right? You're not going to be the right fit for everybody and vice versa. Not everybody is going to be the right client for you, right? Yeah. And that's how I help to improve the processes that we have in place right now, right? Because in, in the beginning, of course, you know, stumbled a couple of times along the way. There was a bit of a baptism of fire, especially when it came to like new business, right? And um, I would even say, you might even agree to this um, to a certain extent, but I spent a lot of time on LinkedIn, right? Yeah. And I spent a lot of time on LinkedIn connecting with people, um, having those engaging conversations with people in my niche. So B2B marketers, right? And I really don't like using this term adding value because it's so overused. But what I would rather say is like, I try to lead by having conversations about topics that both sides are equally passionate about. Because if, if it's a one-way traffic kind of affair, you will sense it right away, right? Yeah. Something that is engaging. You don't always have to necessarily agree on everything, right? But you know, where you know uh, people are going to have an opinion about it, um, you can talk about it at length. 
And most important of all, you can talk about topics that are not necessarily keeping marketers awake at night, but you're talking, you're speaking to their pain points, their challenges, Mm -hmm. you know, what is standing in the way of helping them to succeed. And I found having those discussions were helpful, right? So you lead by being helpful, lead by providing something that's helpful, useful, meaningful, and relevant. Right. And that's, I think, sometimes where a lot of people that you see on LinkedIn, they miss the mark because they're just, you know, using that spray and pray approach and they're just throwing what they have at everybody and trying to peddle their wares. And it just doesn't work that way or it's just not effective. Yeah. Right. It's it's talking at people instead of Mm. communicating with. And I think it's I get I I understand why people want to do things at scale and you want to create templates but i think we've gotten into this this place and i think we're i think the pendulum is swinging back mm-hmm. um but where it's a, it's too templated and it's too um copy paste and it doesn't have that i don't know that authenticity and that that genuine um care and connection yeah yeah uh, absolutely and i think i can speak to B2B marketing, I, I find a lot of people there are they're a little bit rank and file. And what I mean by that is like um they're talking about the same thing. They're just trying to like recycle the topics yep. and trying to go at it from a different angle. Um there was a there was a guy I connected with a couple of months ago and we've become great friends ever since. And he wrote about something today where he said something that irks him on LinkedIn is that everybody's talking about how hard sales is. And how hard marketing is and how hard entrepreneurship is. And it's that whole, like, this is hard, this is hard, this is hard. And I'm like, okay, well, if you're complaining about every, uh, you know, why, why everything is hard, then why are you in that position? Why are you yeah. in that role? Right. If this is something that you're passionate about, I would say complain less and try to find a solution, be a little bit more solution focused, yeah. right? Because it's, it's very easy to, um, I call it sliding down the negativity slope, right? And everybody, everybody tends to ride that at some point, like, oh yeah, it's hard and, oh, yeah. you know, pandemic and the economy, but what can we do to get things moving forward? Right. I mean, nobody's expecting you to perform a miracle, but how can you how can you move things forward in a positive way, in a constructive way, right? Because it's easy to complain about it, but how, how about coming up with some solutions, right, that, that people can actually um, implement and find useful? And isn't it so much more fun when you actually are talking about what the passion you have for your discipline? You know, I think one of the things that, one of the conversations I've had with lots of marketers is the frustration of when you work in an organization or for a person, often for a founder who kind of just doesn't get marketing and they're not, they just don't really get it. And they, they know they need to do it, but they're not terribly passionate about it. Well, complaining about how hard your job is and isn't going to get them excited and want to care and learn. And, but you talking about why it makes you so passionate and the things that you geek out on and you get excited about that's infectious. That energy is infectious and you're a lot more likely to get people to be excited about what's happening. Um, I mean, we don't really want to hang out with, I was about to say Debbie Downer, but I've realized that all of those little (laughs) sayings, it's Debbie Downer, negative Nancy, whatever. They're all women. I don't, I want to find like a, uh, Donald Downer or, or we need like a, 
a, a gender neutral name for those. <laughs> well, this is why I say this is why I say sliding down the negativity slope yeah. because it's not specific to a gender. No, it's an activity that both can do or both are doing. In fact, yeah, right. Well, it's and, not specific to any gender at all. And I think we all saw during COVID, especially when like justifiably so everyone was pretty freaked out. It was really easy to get caught up in the negativity. Things were really scary. And I still marvel at the fact that the term doom scrolling was coined during COVID. And that says it all right there, where you are genuinely feeding that sense of doom and dread in a way can take a small kernel within you and really make it grow. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let, let me just add two points onto yeah. what you've been talking about in the past couple of minutes. Okay. Let me start with the uh, founders and marketing, right? Mm. And I don't think that this is something that founders alone are guilty of. Not all of them anyway. I mean, big corporations are guilty of it too. Yeah. This is the pretext of why I started the podcast, B2B Marketers on the Mission. It's because many of them treat marketing and branding, for that matter, as something that's nice to have. We'll focus on that when we make money. I don't really need a brand right now. I'm only starting out or some misguided conclusion like that. Right. And the truth of the matter is not having marketing and branding in place. Just imagine, if you will, it's like building a house and skipping the foundation, right? Mm. And continuing to build the structure and throwing in all your materials and all your contractors and everything in the kitchen sink at it, right? And you don't have an architect's blueprint. Yep. What's the house going to look like when you're finished? It's going to be one, one big mess. Right? Yeah. Or I've heard that comment before. Christian, we don't need branding. I've got salespeople. And I'm like, <laughs> and therein lies the problem. Therein lies the problem. Because these are the same people that are trying to get in the door with their potential customers, with their leads, with their prospects, and get these people to jump on a discovery call. And they get on the discovery call, and the prospects have no idea who this company is. Oh, yeah. And every salesperson is really coming up with their own talk track yeah. and usually focusing way too much on features and not yes. on the real vision and and especially not on the customer and it's interesting you work with much bigger companies than than I do but I think we get brought in at very similar points where yeah. for me I get brought in when they've skipped over that that brand foundation yes. and they're starting to see it bite them in the ass in a bunch of different ways right exactly exactly so just Adding on to what you were saying, what what then happens is that the salespeople inadvertently become the marketers. Yep. And I don't know how many salespeople you've spoken to, Casey. They don't want to do it. No. No. Right? Because it's not it's not in their um, it's not in their scope. It's not part of their KPI. Right. So and and therein lies the challenge, but now also the opportunity because not not all, but many B two B companies have started to wake up and they've smelled the coffee. If we're going to use that expression, yeah. that marketing is important, and that marketing goes beyond just the visual aspect of it or the fancy campaigns. It, it there, there's so many other things that uh, marketing can bring to the table that are more strategic, right? Yeah. 
And to quote one of the guests who was on my show, right, is the way that marketing has that strategic role or has that voice at the table of the organization is by being the voice of the customer mm. and bridging the gap between the customer and the organization. Absolutely. And you do that by you lead with market research and conducting that market research to understand what has changed in the ecosystem that your customer finds your, uh, finds themselves in, where your cust- uh, where your competition, excuse me, finds themselves in and how your company can rise above that sea of noise because there's so much noise out there. Right? Just look at the SaaS space. Right? I don't have any figures for you right now, but just think five years ago, how many SaaS companies came into the market versus how many come onto the market every month uh, today? Oh, and now it is substantially different where I don't care what what you sell, what your product does. There are now probably at least a dozen yes. other companies that do basically the exact same thing. And guess what the differentiation is? It is brand, it is customer experience. And if you don't have a true vision for those things, you, to your use your term, you are lost in that, that sea of noise. When I work with startups and their founders, it's usually because they know they could be growing faster and they need some help to make it happen. Almost always, my first step with them is to take them through my growth audit process to diagnose and then help them fix the problem. But I can't work with everyone and I still want to help every founder grow. So I've created the growth audit quiz, which asks you some questions about your business and your process of turning a stranger into a loyal, happy customer to help you identify where you have the greatest opportunity to take a big leap forward. So go to a betterjones.com slash growth audit and take the growth audit now. You'll also have a chance to book some time with me to review your answers and together create an action plan to help you grow. Just to throw in another topic or another issue that people keep talking yeah. about, the great resignation, the great reshuffle, the challenge to find the right talent. Now, all of a sudden, uh, people are paying more attention to branding because that is yeah. branding. That's branding, without a doubt. And it is really interesting. I've had one of the clients that I'm working with now, yes, they were most focused on the fact that their messaging and branding was really not there for their sales team, but they started to realize that they were hiring people who had completely different ideas about what they were actually doing. Ah. And they almost lost a really fabulous new hire because he had heard very differing messages from uh, members of the leadership team about the vision of the company. Yes, And he started to worry that what he had signed on for was not actually what they were doing. And turns out it was, but everyone was saying a different thing and it was really freaking confusing. Right, right, right. And that's very dangerous, right? It's this whole like expectations versus the reality, right? Yes. And then um and then companies have to be accountable for that. Like they need to they need to bear that responsibility that they are also packaging what they're offering in the right way. 
So there's many, there's many ways, there's many ways and angles that you can go at this, right? But I, I'm just bringing up this point to highlight that you know what has been treated for so long as a nice to have, as an afterthought, and we'll do it when we have money. You can't treat it that way anymore because of just if you just take your pick, whichever industry segment or vertical, right? Like the the competition is becoming intense because, in large part of this, uh, you know, technological um, advancements and rapid digitization. Yeah. Right. So I'm curious, mm -hmm. you know, for founders that are listening, that are that are at earlier stages, and they're thinking, listening to you, thinking, oh shit, I really need to invest more in brand. And let's say they can't hire someone brilliant like you. What are some of the things that they should be thinking about themselves to at least make some headway in terms of brand and kind of brand vision? Mm. Great question. And uh, thank you. I mean, I don't know how brilliant I am, but I'll take it, right? You're, you're, re you're really brilliant. <laughs> I just like every time we have a conversation, I always, my brain is like buzzing during and for the next few hours because you are always so thoughtful and so thought provoking in how you approach truly everything, your life, your personal life, your professional life, and especially um, your work as a marketer. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, now, let me answer your question. Um, so I'm going to start by saying that branding, if you're not sure what you're doing, um, like a lot of things, can be a very um, expensive endeavor. Right? It doesn't have to be. And so for those of you out there listening to this that are thinking like, okay, I really need to up my game in terms of the branding. I'm just not sure how much I should fork out for this. I'm, I'm going to say at the very minimum, I mean, certainly, and there's different schools of thought here, right? Because branding, like any other discipline, has different, I'm going to call them different camps, right? There's the camp that is going to tell you to fix all your visuals first because it's all about visuals. And you don't want a website that looks like it was built in 2001 and, you know, so on and so forth, right? I do agree to that to a certain extent. I'm just saying that if you're, like like a lot of startups are, they're bootstrapped. Uh, maybe, maybe there is funding coming in, but it's probably for other purposes. I would start at the very minimum with what I call the verbal expression of your brand. Yeah. And what that means is, okay, hold on to your seats. <laughs> 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 positioning mm -hmm. how do you want to be perceived by your target audience within your niche mm -hmm. right when they think about your company where should their mind go to positioning value proposition sounds very fancy but i'll break it down for you value proposition is basically what kind of experience are you delivering to your customers with the products and services that you provide. Mm. What? Right? And there's a whole there's a whole diagram and pyramid about the wants and the needs and so forth. But at the end of the day, the value proposition is when a prospect walks away from a discovery call with you, when a client starts to work with you, or in the case of SaaS startups, if they download your app and they log in, what do you what are you hoping they walk away with? What kind of positive experience do you want them to walk away with? That's the value proposition, right? Messaging, right? And the messaging here means what is the most compelling thing 
about your company and the benefits that you deliver to your customers that you would like to convey to them. Don't make it about you, right? It's not about your tech. We it's are about an award-winning. We are an award-winning, so on and so forth, with proprietary technology and uh, you know certified by all these boards. I mean, come on, man, nobody cares. Right? Yep. <laughs> what they do care about, and this is probably the only time I'm going to swear on the show, is like what they actually will give a damn about is what can you do for me? Yeah. What can you do to make my life better? And they care, and I love this, like you are speaking my language here. They <laughs> care much less about how you do it. Yeah. They, they will kind of care once you've convinced them that you can do you can create this outcome for them. But if you lead with the tech of your product or the how, you their eyes will immediately glaze over and they'll be on to the next thing. Exactly. Exactly. And 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 again, I'm not trying to like throw anybody under the bus here, but you know, a lot of these websites that I go to that are in tech, right? Mm-hmm. Or or SaaS and so forth, right? When you read you don't even have to go that far into their website. Just read what's on the landing page, what we call above the fold, right? That message. Yep. Are they talking to the target audience or are they talking about themselves? Yep. And more often than not, like you read the message, like me, there was one I read and I read it again and I read it again and I read it again. And I'm like, I still don't know what this thing You're was. Like, what the right? hell yeah. did they do? Right? <laughs> Yes. Because again, it's, it's an every marketer, you know, every, I'm, I'm going to say yes, every good marketer, but every responsible marketer will give the same piece of advice to you. The reason why is why that's happening is because they're taking an inside out approach, mm-hmm. not outside in, right? And if that sounds very complicated for you folks out there, what that basically means is that these messages that are being conveyed have been crafted inside a meeting room with a board and they've got an internal consensus for that and they haven't tested it in the market. Outside in is basically you're putting on the lenses of your potential or would-be customer. And if I am going to look for this piece of software or this technology or this app, what would I be looking for and why should I use it? Okay, so... How can founders better take that outside-in approach? What are some of the things that they can do um, to to put on the customer or would-be customer lenses and really get into their mindset and speak from their perspective instead of from the company's perspective? Yeah, another great question. You're full of great questions today. I would say a lot of it really depends on um, at what stage of maturity your company is at. But I would also go a step further to say, irrespective of the stage, this is something that you should do on a regular basis anyway. Keep that communication line with your customers open. Find time to talk to them. And I wouldn't just say that talk to the customers who are your advocates slash cheerleaders. Talk to the customers also who are not necessarily happy uh, with what you're doing. And if you can, and this is a great learning experience, and I know that because I've done it. Um, talk to lost leads, mm. clients that are no longer uh, using your products and services, and find out why. Yeah. Right. And so, having those conversations with customers. Okay, let's 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 go in a bit from a positive angle. Let's start with the let's start with the advocates and cheerleaders first. 
have a conversation with them and talk to them about what made them decide to work with you over somebody else. What made them choose your product over the competitors? What is it about what you do or you provide um, that they like? What are the aspects that they feel could be improved and why? Right? And, and then you go on from that down the line, right? Like with the lost prospects, of course, you ask, okay, why, why did you feel that we weren't the right fit? Because if you, because sometimes it's also important to have those difficult conversations because it's from there that you actually also learn what it is you can improve because everybody wants to hear the great, you know, the raving reviews and the great feedback. Nobody wants to tackle the difficult conversations, but therein lies potential for growth. So I would say if you, and, and going back to answering your question, you know, if you don't have the the means and the resources right now to do your own, um, you know, like uh, to do branding or to hire a firm to do that for you, you can start with some of those uh, tips that I just gave you, right? So having, and and by the way, do not start doing writing your positioning and your messaging and your value proposition without doing the customer research first. That should come first, right? Yeah. That needs to come first. Do the research first, conduct those in-depth customer interviews. So guys, this is qualitative stuff. Don't, don't just rely on a survey. Don't just send out a survey and, and, and use that as the, um, the basis for, uh, you know, you're making your decisions. Do those interviews, have those conversations and extract those insights from those discussions and synthesize them. And what that basically means is making sense of all that data, right? Yeah. And using that then to craft things like your positioning, your value proposition, your messaging. And I would start with that. And if you can, there are ways to give your brand visual tweaks without having to like, you know, hire an agency or a, or a brand studio to help you with that right so it's even it's even things like you know using um using images uh, I, I think less is more right the, the problem with a lot of uh, companies is they tend to like just cram too many things in there right like it's it, whether it's imagery whether it's design it's like you know it's just all over the place because they feel this need to just say everything right like and you, you look at you look at the websites of some tech companies right it's it's exhaustive it is it's exhaustive, and I'm and I and I mean that you know in both the literal and figurative sense, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and I I think you're exactly right. Less is more, because you do. I I like to think about every sort of stage of marketing as it's just one step, and so you want when somebody comes to your website or or the subject line of your email, right? Like the point of the subject line of the email is just to get them to open it. Yes. It's not, that, it's not to tell them everything that's in the email and way too often you get these really long subject lines, but also your website, it's to get someone interested enough so that they'll take that next step. And when you Correct. throw everything at them, you, you don't leave any mystery or intrigue for them to want to kind of go a little bit deeper or take yes. that next step with you. Well, exactly. And, uh, you know, again, just to add on to that, it's also about like, okay, if you, if you do that, then what should they focus on? Right. Oh, yes. What should they be paying attention to? Or they're going to ask themselves, well, what do you actually want me to do here? Right. Cause there's, there's such a thing as like CTA overload, right? Like call to action overload. It's like, okay, <laughs> download this, book a call, register for the webinar. And then just, okay, what do you want me to do? Right. What do you want me to do? 
And when you read about some of the sort of psychology behind choice, too many choices make us not choose. And I think we've all had this experience as consumers, right? You spend like an hour looking on some website and opening up all of these different, you know, images of 20 different pairs of black pants. And ultimately you're like, I can't choose. And so you don't buy any of them. And we don't want to give our prospects the same experience on our website. Yes. So you brought up something that still sends a cold shiver down my spine because it brings me back to my early days in advertising. So it was um, early days in the advertising um, you know, industry. And uh, I was on the account servicing side and we used to deal with clients that you know, and those are back in the day where we had to come back with campaign key visuals, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, what would be the face of the campaign and w- what would the image look like and so on and so forth. And we'd have some clients that would say, well, give us 10 options, right? And our rule of thumb was always like three, five max. Yeah. Because we learned we learned very quickly that giving them too many options will actually lead to complete indecision. They will not know what to choose, right? I'd never thought that on the on the client side, but that makes perfect sense. Yeah, and I'm not just saying this, you know, like because I'm I'm the ex account servicing person that's griping here. I've I've seen it. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. Okay, I I feel like this has been this is going. To, anybody who listens to this is going to get like the crash course in <laughs> branding and marketing for their business. Um, which is ridiculously valuable. I did not expect us to get into the details like this. And I'm so glad we did because seriously, people are going to learn so much valuable information from this conversation. Thank you. And, and you know what? You found the key and you unlocked the door and it flung open, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> Yay. See, I knew this would be a really good conversation. Um, okay. So if anybody wants to learn more about you or your podcast, how can they connect with you? How can they reach out? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I think LinkedIn would be the best place to uh, you know connect with me. And when you do, please uh, let me know that you um, you know Casey Jones and her amazing podcast. And uh, congratulations on that, by the way. That's huge, right? Um, so you can find me. My handle is Christian Dash Clep Dash Einblick Consulting. So um, let me just spell it out because sometimes people get this wrong. We'll also have it in the show notes. Okay, but yes. K-L-E-P-P, so is my surname. And then Einblick is E-I-N-B-L-I-C-K, right? And uh, you can find our podcast, B2B Marketers on a Mission, on Apple, Google, Stitcher, um, Amazon Music, or wherever you, you know, wherever you download your favorite podcasts. And it's really, really good. And I'm not, not just my, my interview. I didn't listen to my own <laughs> especially interview. That, especially <laughs> but, that interview. <laughs> but the, seriously, you get such great people and you are so good at asking um, really, really thought-provoking questions that lead to some really interesting conversation around um, B2B marketing and marketing in general. Thank you. I, um, I'm a big believer that B2B marketers can learn so much from B2C. We can learn so much from other industries. B2C can learn from B2B. It's So anyone who is interested at all in marketing, I highly recommend checking out Christian's podcast. Thank you. Okay. And now we have three last questions before mm-hmm. we wrap up. Okay. So number one, what is one thing that makes you grateful to be a founder? Well, I have a few things, but I'm going to compare it to, I'm going to compare being a founder to becoming a father. 
right? Mm. So uh, my daughter is the most precious gift I've ever been given. And I'm going to stand by what I said earlier. It was both beautiful and terrifying. (laughs) 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 Is she ever going to stop crying? Right? Like, um, but, you know, at the same time, it's, um, and it it felt that way too with uh, launching a business because, you know, in the beginning, and I'm sure you were the same, like, you know, I, 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 came to a new country. I didn't know anyone. I didn't have a network. And then I started my own business and I'm like, okay, where are the clients going to come from? Right. Yeah. But thankfully, and this is again, another thing I am very grateful for is that uh, I put myself out there and built up a community and I have had the good fortune of meeting people like yourself and also people in person in Toronto who have become mentors of mine and have also been there for me throughout my journey and i've always just if if anything also just been a sounding board right and they've given so much of their time and generosity and shared their own experiences and for that i'm truly grateful that's amazing and by the way while you you know i don't have kids but while you were talking about the the beauty and the terror of being a father (laughs) i was about to be like well, it's kind of the same with being an entrepreneur isn't it (laughs) because there is no handbook there's lots of books yes but your journey is going to be yours and you just have to learn by doing, which is... Absolutely. And and uh, if I might just add on, Casey, and I know that you are definitely not one of these people, but you, every now and then you meet these uh, shelf help experts, right? Mm. So they, they just read all these books, right? Pick your topic, entrepreneurship and uh, better leadership and so on and so forth, but not many actually apply them. Yeah. Because the application part of it's hard. Like reading's the easy part, right? Like <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Actually doing it is way freaking harder. So speaking of books or other things, what is one resource for entrepreneurs that you either wind up recommending all the time or you're like, oh my God, this this made such a huge difference in my journey? Um what do you got? I've got quite the list here, but I'll try to see how much of this I can go through. Um, so in terms of books, uh, one that really helped me out at the beginning, right, when I first moved to Toronto, while I was accompanying uh, my wife to the doctor, you know, just a couple of weeks before she was due, and I was sitting there for an hour waiting, right? I was reading this book. So it's published by the Harvard Business Review, and it's the Entrepreneur's Handbook. Ooh. Right? So That's very cool. And I'm very happy to send all of these in an email afterwards. Um, the second book has helped me professionally and personally, personally on my uh, sketching journey that I've told you about, right? So the book is called Creative Confidence, and it was written Mm -hmm. by Tom and David Kelly. And if you guys don't know who they are, they are the founders of Ideo. Oh, yes, very cool. Amazing book, highly recommended. And, uh, you know, and, and this is the thing, right? You don't have to be a creative or a designer to read books like this, right? Because as you well know, right, being an entrepreneur, you have to, be creative to a certain degree. You do. Right? Do you do? Way too often we think that you're only a creative if you're like a an artist. Right. Or a designer. And yes. and that I that's what I thought for years. And exactly. then I remember a mentor being like, Are you kidding me? You're yeah. so creative with strategy right. and all these other things. And I started to realize, yeah, it's it's the sim- similar part of your brain. You just express it in a different way exactly and you know again and i've said this before um there are different versions of creative expression the easiest one or the one that everybody defaults to is like the visual right Mm. so if you're a sketcher a painter you know a graphic designer but you know storytelling is creative 
Uh, it is. People who play music are creative, mm-hmm. right? So there's different forms of creative expression, right? So that's that's one book I'd highly recommend. Another one is, um, it, and it's very visual too. It's a book called Design a Better Business, right? Ooh. And it's by it's by three people actually. It's um, let me see if I can pronounce his name properly: Patrick van der Fiel mm-hmm. and Lee Justin Loketz and Lisa K Solomon. There's another book that I've recently started reading, and I've had the pleasure of um, having this gentleman on my podcast as well. It's called Human-Centered Communication. Oh, wow. And it's written by Ethan Butte, and he, he's over at BombBomb. <gasps> oh, at, yeah, from BombBomb. I, he and I have talked. He is fantastic. I've been meaning to read that book. I'm, I'm adding that to my Amazing. list. Amazing. I mean, you, you know, I feel like talking to somebody like Ethan, I was really in a mental Zen garden because he's just so calm. And composed and you know yeah every everything is right with the world when you talk to him right it's so great another another book which again it's it's more on the branding aspect uh but i love it nonetheless and i had the pleasure of um seeing this guy in action at here in downtown toronto um back in 2019 so the book is called think do say by ron tight mm. right and it's all about marketing and branding and, uh, you know, the messaging and actually delivering what you what you say you provide. Right. Very cool. And because I'm a branding guy, I also really love the book uh, Building a Story Brand by a guy called Donald Miller. It's a classic and it's such a good one. And I think it's especially a good one if if marketing is somehow intimidating or you're like, Ugh, I don't know. It's so simple. And so powerful. I think it's such a great one. Absolutely. And going through those those workshops. Also, if any of the consultants out there leading a a company or a client through a story brand workshop, mm. that was that I learned was sort of my secret of if they thought, no, our website's great. We don't need to change it. <laughs> we'll see about <laughs> that. Them to go through that. They'd be like, <laughs> like immediately, oh my God, yeah. we need to change everything. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. But um yeah. yeah. Casey, I could go on and on and on, but I'll leave it at that. Right. Like yes, those are um yeah. those are fantastic. Um, okay, last but not least, what would Christian today, if you could go back in time and you could give yourself right before you're about to start your business some advice about this journey that you're about to launch on, what would you tell your younger self? I've been thinking about this one a lot too. Because there's so many, there's so many um, paths you could go down here, but I would say, or I would give my younger self the piece of advice that my current mentor here in Toronto gave me when I started out. So, just a little bit of a background on my current mentor. He's um, he's an advertising agency veteran. He was in the industry for 25 years before he he became an entrepreneur, and you know he's been he's been doing that for a very long time, and. Uh, he has lived in Toronto for many, many years. He's originally from Glasgow, Scotland, mm. and uh, he never got rid of the accent either. <laughs> Fabulous. But um, one thing he told me when I was starting out that I keep going back to is he said, slow down to speed things up. Mm. As ironic as that sounds, but what that means, if we're going to break it down a little bit, right, make this more digestible or whoever's listening to this. As you're going along in your path, and it doesn't necessarily have to be just for entrepreneurs. This can be, you know, if you're in an organization too, right? Have a process in place that has uh, gates, 
checkpoints where you can pause and you can take a step back, kind of like a painter, right? Or when you're drawing, you take a step back and review what you've done. Yeah. Right. Review what you're doing, especially before you're making a, um, a decision, right? Review the options. Like what are the options available to you? What are the alternatives? Do research and ask questions before moving on and do not press the panic button. There are solutions for every problem. And I can say that because I've been in some pretty hairy situations, right? Yeah. That's what I'd leave your listeners That's with. Very, very, very good advice. I love that. Thank you so much for this conversation. I know people are going to learn a ton from this. Um, it is always such a pleasure to talk with you. And I'm excited to, to be able to share this with, with the high growth founders uh, audience. Perfect. Thanks again for having me, Casey. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that episode on the High Growth Founders Podcast. If you love what you heard, subscribe to the show of whatever podcast platform you're tuning in from. And look, much like this show, I love getting into the good, the bad, and everything in between. So please feel free to express yourself in the reviews of the show. And consider subscribing to the High Growth Founders newsletter by going to highgrowthfounders.substack.com. You'll get the show delivered to your inbox every single week, plus stories, insights, and actionable tips from my work helping founders accelerate their growth and from my own journey, accelerating my own. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we are here to learn from one another. So please, if the episode made you think of a founder who is leveling up in their business, take a screenshot and share it with them. Okay, that's all I've got. In love and growth, I am out of here. See you next time.